it's actually the thing that I like tell um like if I'm just speaking to an intern class or something the thing that I always say first which I guess is the, the most like the biggest thing that um floats up is that I just don't think you have to work for asshole Episode 22 of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater take center stage in lives they love. I am your host, Emily Stamets, and I am so excited about this interview today, and it is coming to you hot off the presses. I spoke with Isabella Bird no more than half an hour ago, um, so I really wanted to share this interview right away. Now, before I like do a full formal introduction of Isabella, the reason that I am so excited to talk to her is that I saw one of her designs. She's a lighting designer, and I saw her design when I saw The Tale of Despero at the Old Globe a few weeks ago, and it blew my mind. The production in general is amazing and transcendent, and you should go see it if you can. But the lighting design in particular was such a beautifully integrated piece of the show that after the show, I flipped my program open. I was like, please, Lord, let this lighting designer be a woman plus so that I can interview them for the podcast. And lucky for all of us, she is. (laughs) Um, And I was just thrilled to be able to speak to her. Um, And I'm really, really excited to share this conversation with you. Now, Isabella is a lighting designer. She's based in Brooklyn, New York. She was recently awarded an Obie for her design of light shining in Buckinghamshire at the New York Theater Workshop. Her design collaborations have been presented in New York City and regionally across the United States. She has a special interest in developing new works. She calls herself a rehearsal forward designer, which I love. Her process pivots, activates, and blooms around design, dramaturgy, musical movement, and color composition. Her work favors architectural impulses and shadow play, and I definitely saw a lot of that in The Tale of Despero, which is what made me so excited about her work. So I think that's what I've got to say to you today, um, other than please, please, please listen through to the end because Isabella's thoughts on living in both light and darkness embracing both light and darkness in our lives are those, her thoughts are incredibly powerful. Um, and those come way at the very end of the interview. So please just stick with it. I mean, it's a fantastic interview. You should listen to it all anyways, because it's great. Um, but really like at least plug into the very end because the last 10 or so minutes when we talk about light and dark is pretty powerful stuff. So I'm really excited to share this with you. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Isabella Bird. Um, well, Isabella, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to talk to you. I saw The Tale of Despero at the Old Globe um, a couple of weeks ago and was blown away by the entire production, but in particular, <laughs> the lighting design, because it was so, oh, like, I don't even have words for it. It was um, like, it just was so right. Like, it felt like it was building the world and speaking to the world and of the world. Um, and just was Thank like, you. was really awesome. Um, and for anyone who's listening, the show also includes some really fun shadow puppets and um, shadow cutouts and things that also had to be lit and lots of moving lighting elements as well. 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, some lanterns and flashlights and um, things that were manipulated by the performers. And so there was, there was a lot going on there, but it all felt just so perfectly put together um, and just like incredibly visually stunning and also um, like wonderful for the storytelling aspect of it as well. And they're a charming bunch of performers too. So that helps, I think. <laughs> yeah, they certainly seem yeah. like it. So were you yeah. part of that production from its conception or was that something that you were brought in later to do? Yeah, it's sort of a middle ground because it's sort of a notorious children's book now or young adult novel, I guess. Um, uh, I guess probably a couple of years ago, Pigpen Theater Company, who was like the real furthers of the story, um, got approached by Universal and um, and they were like, what if you make this into a musical? What does that mean in your style? And how does that um, breathe out? So about a year ago or so, they invited some extra, some new designers that they'd never worked with before into the process. Um, they That company in particular has a couple people they went to school with who they like have always leaned on for their visual world. Mm-hmm. So this was the first adventure for them that was like actually welcoming in new brains and eyes. Um, I had worked with them in another capacity in the past, but I was really exciting to be like, oh, let's like do this in this like very light sensitive um, tale. Yeah. So literally yeah, light did, sensitive. Like the literally, really, yeah. <laughs> the story is like pivots around light and dark and oh my God, I'm like having flashbacks to this scene with the, <laughs> the rats and just the eyeballs where it was almost completely dark on stage. Um, just some really fun stuff happening there. Yeah. So for those who don't know what the tale of Despero is about, mm-hmm. it's, it really does. Um, it's this tale of Despero, who is this tiny mouse who was born with an intense sense of curiosity and adventure and doesn't really follow any of the mouse rules <laughs> of Mouse Kingdom <laughs> and happens to be exploring around this castle that seems to be curiously empty um, where and falls in love with the princess basically we learn quickly that like a princess had her, her mother the queen died for some sort of like terrible no barely talk about it reasons which happens to involve a rat and some soup it's like very charming and ridiculous <laughs> um but ultimately despero gets banished to the dungeon because he's talked to the humans and he's fallen in love with the princess and um, the contrast of the way that like uh, the light is of knowledge and um, and of love and the darkness is where people go hide and are um, not allowed to bask in that um, that knowledge is really traces throughout the whole piece mm-hmm. very very actively in all forms of metaphor. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and it was just it w- just every piece of it was so awesome. I'm just going to keep fawning over the show. Um, (laughs) Okay. um, So we can like be productive and move forward. Um, (laughs) How (laughs) like stepping in to work with a company that had such a tight knit group already? Like, was it, were there growing pains as they opened up and started working with people outside of their core group? How did you navigate that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, luckily I I have become pretty good friends with all of them pretty quickly. Um, I'm really mean, you know, so it's like hard. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, <laughs> I, um, we became fast friends, but it was definitely, um, exciting and a new way to enter rehearsal when there's truly like the core of Pigpen theater company is like seven buxom dudes 
who um, writes and like literally write the text and the music and create the visual world altogether. So they are very actively in their practice. Um, they are very famous, by the way, for like this one piece called The Old Man and the Old Moon, which um, has toured around the country and maybe some people have seen. But they are very actively trying to open up their collaborative circle to mm-hmm. both diversify and, um, you know, enrich their collaborative skills mm-hmm. just because it's so different when you work with new people. So I have always been like very rehearsal forward lighting designer, which I think is maybe, um, like some people are, but most people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love to sit in rehearsal and just like soak up what the room vibes are. But in this instance for Tunnel Despero, the the, the process included some like really early workshops. So while we made it in San Diego, in New York, we had a couple like week or two week long adventures where we'd take the current draft of the script and say like, okay, these three people and work on this scene. These two people work on this scene and then like spend an hour doing something. And then we'd all come together and like present our cardboard cutouts and like books, staircases mm-hmm. and like whatever sort of came to be in like a very fast and dirty um, exploration. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that stuff. Um, and, and it, and truly like pig pen is also, um, very much so Lydia fine, who is like a marvelous, marvelous creative director and designer and puppeteer who has like really guided a lot of their past work and their aesthetic. Um, her and a gentleman, Nick Lehane did like, uh, we all worked together very closely to look at how puppets, and light and dark came to life in this piece. And then the boys, um, and when I say the boys, I mean Pig Pen. Um, <laughs> like also um, like did their own version. And we all sort of just like built on top of each other, built on top of each other, built on top of each other. And I, it was a big conversation for this piece. Um, like when shadows became negative or positive or mm. because so much of their past shadow play work has always been like a white screen with a light and then you see the actual cutout um, become animated and puppeteered across the screen. And then this particular adventure, because light is so sparse and so precious, we often elected to invert that. So instead, we're only cutting out the shapes that we wanted you to see light through, Mm -hmm. Um, which was like, which really demanded that the visual world of the play condense and expand to um, really like cater to those darker moments mm-hmm. so throughout the piece we had these little chapter titles I guess you could call them that sort of framed the series of events that you were about to um, stumble across with Despero and so each of those we like were very careful about how color and shape came to live and and even I think most importantly the pacing of the event um, making sure that if there's like a piece of fabric that's billowing across the stage, that we have just enough time to read the words that we're sharing and then punctuate it with a little, you know, what some often it'd be like the shape of Despero, this tiny mouse, like mm-hmm. uh, in a way acting as like a little the punctuation mark and then transforming from that shape that we've been, we've just met into like the actual human representation of Despero or the puppet version. There was many levels to this yeah, piece. There were a lot of levels. Um, many pieces. Um, so my husband and I worked together in a theater company that did a lot of um, similar to this, like integrated um, large scale puppets, small scale puppets, mask work, along with 
um, regular like human performers. Um, mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we really appreciated about this piece was the way that scale was played with and how it was. Oh, hooray. That's that so good so to fantastic. hear. Yeah. It was just really, it was fun and it was surprising in the moments that we wanted it to be delightfully surprising um, and, you know, storytelling in the ways that it needed to be storytelling. And it was just really lovely. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Cause we really, it's funny. We, we actually, um, I very actively pushed the actual vocabulary word like scale play into our rehearsal room because for as much as shadow play was a real thing, like we were very actively trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what are the rules slash are there rules about how scale becomes this like huge storytelling element because when your main characters are human size, rat size, and mouse size, mm -hmm. you really have to help determine what like the actual gaze is. And um, we like we had a bunch of different tool toolboxes that we were like, okay, in this instance, gaze is what's like telling the the, the scale play, and then mm. um, sometimes it's shadow, and sometimes it's music, and sometimes so it's like we, that handoff became really a curious adventure for us. And I think we're still gonna we still have work to do. I think on this piece, but scale play to come back to what you were I saying love is. That is really important. That's a fantastic phrase. Um, and I think everyone should steal it. <laughs> <laughs> everyone should steal it. They should when it is appropriate. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we talk, so my husband, we're ridiculous. We, um, have conversations after every show, of course, about like just our thoughts about the show. Um, mm -hmm. and we record them because someday we're going to maybe put up a podcast. It's like literally just us talking about shows after we see them. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. Just record them. Um, but one of the things we talked about was for in the company that we worked with before, it was always a really fun part of the design process to determine the rules of the world. When is mm -hmm. a character a puppet versus when are they played by a human performer versus when are they a masked character? Um, and on our way home from Tale of Despero, we talked about whether we could determine the rules necessarily. Um, and I don't think we came up with an answer. There wasn't like a really clear, oh, it's a, it's a big mouse here. It's a, you know, it's a little mm -hmm. mouse here. And yet it was all incredibly clear and, um, What's what I'm looking for? Like it was just very accessible to the audience. What oh, we were supposed to be looking great at. Great news. Was going great on. news. So <laughs> we, yeah. I think we still have question marks about certain parts being like, oh gosh, does that, does anyone else get that? We don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there were things that we missed that were probably, <laughs> you guys are still agonizing over, but um, there were just some really lovely moments. One of my favorites was um, Despero and Ruskiro are having a sword fight. So this is like, it's a rat and a mouse, human performers begin a sword fight that's this epic fight with fought with like a needle and a soup ladle um and then it transitions kind of in an instant to a little tiny like a rat puppet and a mouse puppet that are approximately maybe hand size like maybe the rat puppet is what 12 inches tall um mm -hmm. that are then having the sword fight instead and maybe then that becomes the the point of focus and then at the end of the sword fight it transitions back to the human characters and the or the human performers um and the transition was so seamless and beautiful and it was so smart because it's easier to choreograph an epic sword battle with the tiny puppets than it was <laughs> if you wanted to do all those things with um, the human performers. So that totally. Oh, that's great. We were really proud of that one. It came pretty late in the process for us. And we were just like, it was so rewarding to hear the audience's response every night. Yeah. We're like, oh, thank God. It's just thank so God, lovely. something funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, well, let, let's dive into like my questions because I, I have questions, yeah, please. particularly pertaining to like your work with this company, but I think that your answers to the first question are going to answer some of them. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get started in the theater? What was the journey like from that day to what you're doing today? Sure. Um, I have always been like an arts addict, one could say, but I actually started once upon a time when I was very tiny. Um, I did a lot of dancing. Um, I was training with the Houston Ballet Academy. I grew up in Houston and, uh, and like forever and ever thought like that's what I was going to do and, um, ended up going to a performing arts high school in which I didn't actually get like admitted to the whole dance department, which like broke my tiny heart. (laughs) Um, but I was still dancing at the Houston Ballet Academy. So I was just like, what is going on? But I interviewed or auditioned for the theater department at that time and was like, oh, I'm just going to transfer like after I get in because I was terrible and cocky. And I, <laughs> um, and I got in and I like very quickly and I like I got in with a design portfolio in the theater department, which was just like drawings and like curiosities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I never transferred to the, <laughs> to the dance department. <laughs> so um, I just I fell in really hard during high school and I like and it like has hooked ever since. It's like I, my mom found this very ridiculous little like diary. You know, when you're like in third grade and you like mm-hmm. try and keeping a diary for like, you know, two days and you forget yeah. about it for yeah, for like <laughs> six months. And I found this like really terrible entry. I mean not terrible, adorable entry that was just like, we went to go see a play today and it was bad, but the lights were cool. And I was like, oh my gosh, who <laughs> was I? Just like, and it's just like so nerdy. Um, but apparently I've always liked light. <laughs> so um, I felt so lucky to go to performing arts high school that was just like incredibly diverse. And like, it's just not to brag, but Beyonce went to my arts high school for like six months before she decided to go be a, be to Destiny's Child. So it's just like a really like fantastic um, place in Houston that is like hyper diverse and just like if you don't have pink hair, you're weird. Sort of like I'm not weird, but you know it's like it's just a really excellent environment. So during high school, I like sort of figured it out and um, had through that convinced my parents like I needed to go to conservatory to study this so uh, I sort of got on the fast track very early went to conservatory and which I did in Cincinnati Ohio at the College Conservatory of Music which has a great design program Mm -hmm. um and there like right after school moved to New York City I was like this is what I'm doing yeah so at what point did you start focusing in on lighting I, I like weirdly in high school like okay. I I think maybe I had like a crush on someone who's working on lighting and like mm-hmm. that sort of rippled over but I I got the chance to like light many shows in high school mm-hmm. um so I had this like strange strangely strong portfolio to interview for college with that way mm-hmm. um and I I was like I mean not a I, like theater kids, you know, we're a very specific brand of human often, <laughs> um, energetic and, uh, smarter than our own good. And like, you know, whatever it might be, but, um, like amidst that, I was like a pretty nerdy inside of all those truths. So, um, I, like even back then was just like totally into English classes. And I, mm-hmm. I think that 
I've always been a big reader and I love museums and research. So like very early on, I feel like my, my um, affinity for light was always paired with a passion for writing and new work and research. And I think like I very act like actively sell or try to sell myself now um or brand myself now as a like very dramaturgical designer mm-hmm. and I really love working on new plays and new work and letting my lighting instincts influence inform like and help the new text grow into like it's what I hope is its best self yeah I um, love that yeah. um it's so nice to to hear about companies bringing designers in during the devising process. Um, often designers are the kind of the last people to come on board into mm-hmm. a show. And so it is, which I think is ridiculous because I'm similar to you, right? I'm, I design, but I love rehearsals. Like I want to be there during the, the discovery process yeah. for my design. And then the design can inform, um, you know, the performance and, and it all goes hand in hand, but that just so often isn't the, the timeline that happens, which is absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a shame because I, I think that the whole work really benefits from having all those design brains yeah, or absolutely. like whatever form of visual brain in the room, um, just to absorb, like, I mean, I have tried really to book myself, like when I'm traveling for shows or whatever, I try and get there at least a couple of days early just mm-hmm. to sit in rehearsal, even if the show is not particularly um, visually demanding. And like, I, you know, the way that Despero was like hyper unique. Right. Um, but I just, I find that like being in the room, like I can actually, I can like, I get the room tone. Like I know what the relationships are between the director and the actors. I know what stage manager is like the person I should ask things for. <laughs> like mm-hmm. All those things I feel like really gel the whole like because become a company because we shouldn't all just be like little islands in archipelago right like we're actually right. making one thing together so right. um absolutely I hope and that, that could be true with your background mm-hmm. in performance in dance and having that be sort of your first inroad into things it's not surprising at all that you are interested in that in the rehearsal process and in being there during the like the budding beginnings of a performance as well yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes sometimes there's closed rehearsal processes, you know, which I have found recently that I'm not actually working on those processes anymore. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. people are like hiring me because they're like, oh yeah, come on in, come on in. Like, well, right. let's all hang out together. So, which is awesome. Um, yeah. Full disclosure, I also did a lot of lighting in high school. So I oh. don't dirty in the slightest. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and the way that happened for me was I went to a high school that had a, a large theater program. And I, you know, from the first second of my freshman year, I put in an application to be on tech crew and I'm sure she was like, Oh, here's like these, all these freshmen. Let me just put them on, you know, right. Make them electricians. And so I showed up my first, the first thing I ever did in high school was being an electrician on a show. And I was like, this is it. This is here. I am like here. This is what I want to do. Um, which was super great. And I did it also, but it was really wonderful to be, um, empowered in the direction of lighting, which I find so beautiful and fascinating. Um, it was also when I reflect back on it, the two, both the lighting designer and the assistant were both women, um, like high school, Amazing. high school age women. So I think that was also a thing where I was like, Oh, I can see, like, I see myself 
in those roles, which made it very, um, just felt feel like really welcoming and accessible and, um, and just was like a fantastic place to be. Also, that meant that even as a technician, I could spend many weeks working on a show versus when I was on props crew, then I only got to show up for tech week, right? Right, right. And when you're in theater kid, like you said, like you just want to be there like all the time. <laughs> I just totally. wanted any excuse to be in the room. So just, you know, shout out to everyone who has high school electricians doing stuff before tech week. Yes. <laughs> keep, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so um, give us a snapshot of what you are doing today and what maybe a typical day looks like. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, there is no typical day. Sadly, I'm, I seek I seek routine. If someone can find has it, please hand it off. Um, I I mean it, it's crazy. I, I guess you know so much of like half of my life is in tech and half of my life is not in tech. So I um, I would say like on a let's say August is weirdly slow. I think for a lot of people, but like on a daily basis, I'm like really trying to keep ahead of the multiple projects that are coming down the line. And so it's like uh, every day is sort of spent like answering emails and trying to like put a little bit of creative brain power on like brewing on the solution for that terribly large scenic piece that needs blah, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and when I have the opportunity or I'm in the same city, like visiting rehearsal or um, keeping in touch with my other collaborators, um, as well as like, I live in New York city. I like to enjoy New York city. That's like a, you know, a full-time job right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, and I, something that's super important in my process is just like seeing other shows as much as possible. Like, um, again, I just like living in Brooklyn, there's just such a huge, huge saturation, um, or dense saturation, I guess, of, of performance and gallery work. And there's just, a lot of exciting things to be inspired by. So like right now I'm not in tech, which is just great <laughs> because I was in tech <laughs> all summer. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to just like be back at home in Brooklyn and like be back, like get to know my neighborhood again. But, um, but yeah, so it's, I mean, I, I have been raving a lot to some friends of mine about how I like actually seek a creative, like I'm trying to form a more, routine to creative habit right now. And, um, I don't have an answer to that yet, but, um, it's, it's with how much, um, talking I do about like, I'm always going to be in the room and I want to be really present and I want to, um, not overbook myself so that I'm like recycling ideas just because that's what's on the top of my head. Like all those feelings. Um, it's, it's, I'm finding it like an exciting challenge to, um, have to do that over time, <laughs> like in the way that there's projects that that are going to go up in December right now that I'm trying mm-hmm. to problem solve and be present for while also be present for the thing that started rehearsals two days right. ago. So that is like a not easy challenge. That yeah, I, little, yeah, varying states of doneness. Yes, that is a challenge. Um, you have an agent, which I think is fascinating. You're the first designer that I know personally that has an agent. So I'm, you can just like 
talk a little bit about what that's like, because there may be people listening who don't even know that designers can have agents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Designers can definitely have agents. Um, I I found that at least um, I didn't need an agent until I needed an agent. <laughs> you know, like okay. there was like just a moment when I was working out some contracts with a couple of theaters where um, actually a bunch of theaters were asking me, do you have an agent that you want us to go through? Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, I guess, yes, yes, I do. Hold on just a second. You know? And then I, um, sort of like went around and met a couple agents in the city and like found the right one for me. And, um, I'd say there's like, it's not uncommon, um, in New York, at, at least that folks do have representation. Um, honestly, like, I mean, Allison, my agent, shout out, you're lovely. Um, <laughs> she, like, I, she doesn't necessarily get me tons of jobs. She's just managing my own connections that are coming through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are definitely projects that she has, um, introduced me to folks through and like that's worked out, but, um, it's really nice to have someone like asking all the hard questions that I don't have to ask. Like I don't enjoy t- asking for more money, but I can make her ask for more money yeah, <laughs> on something absolutely. or make sure like, there's cause it's so often that there is no more money that at least we can you know, ask for, um, not even perks, but just make sure that like travel is like accommodated in a certain way. Or like I have rights to the photos of the show that I'm making. If the theater takes them like Mm -hmm. dumb stuff like that, that I would definitely forget to ask on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. She goes in and asks for me instead. So if you're able to find one, like you do, she does take a cut of my fee Mm -hmm. every time, but, um, it's deeply worth it for me. So I think that if anyone's seeking that, it's definitely worth meeting some people and asking if they are willing or interested to represent you in their capacity. A lot of people do it on like a trial basis. Mm -hmm. I don't have a long game contract with my agent. It's like sort of in good faith that we're like, we're going to do this until it doesn't work out. And then we'll, you know, see what happens. And I think a lot of people are interested in building relationships that way. If anyone's on the fence about it. So does she represent, um, only designers, only lighting designers or anybody? No, she'll, she represents, um, writers and directors and designers and, um, I'm with um, a firm called Paradigm and Paradigm actually does a huge amount of music representation, like mm-hmm. um, bigger acts. And so they're not really leaning on their <laughs> theater designers to pay the bills, if you right. know what I mean. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lovely community and I think everyone sort of grows up with different people. And so it's like a wing of the industry that I forget about sometimes. Yeah. That's really cool though. Like really, really cool. Yeah. Um, Awesome. All right, Isabella, tell us a vivid memory that you have of the theater. Mm, knew you were asked this question and I <laughs> didn't really properly prepare. I guess it would be um there's just a there's a a couple of dance pieces actually that it just like really vibrated in my bones after seeing them. And I like in a, in a way that I think often people don't associate dance and music with um, like typically like bringing you to tears in the theater, you know, it's often linked more specifically to, um, you know, a weepy dramatic moment. But um, I, I've just seen a couple pieces that um, like by there's a ballet British Columbia has just like some epically gorgeous pieces that like 
are so smart with life and just the simplicity has like broken my heart in the, the best of ways. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I, that my answer is like leaning on dance and music a little bit more. Which is yeah. totally fair, especially as someone who does visual storytelling. Um, I'm not surprised that you find that sort of like inspiration and resonance with things that are less narrative based. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah. your background in dance, of course. Do you still dance? Yeah. Oh, I wish. No, not at all. I mean, I, sometimes like dance. yoga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yoga like satisfies it a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. When I quit, I like look for you sort of like have a phantom limb stretching like need. It's like very, <laughs> um, very strange. But but yeah, I mean, also if you ask me like the vivid um, memory question tomorrow, I might have a completely different answer. Oh, but yeah. but yeah, which is why I actually prefer that people don't kind of prepare that question at least um, because mm-hmm. it's fun to like to see what pops up for you today when the question is asked because it will be different day to day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, next one. What is an important lesson, or I'm sorry, the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? Oh, I guess the the um, it's actually the thing that I like tell, um, like if I'm just speaking to an intern class or something. The thing that I always say first, which I guess is the, the most like the biggest thing that um, floats up is that I just don't think you have to work for assholes. Like, <sighs> like you don't like half, like I learned on a couple of shows very early and I was just working for some really terrible people and they made me feel bad about myself. And they like, I just had deep anxiety while I was in the process. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know what? I don't have to do this. I can, I can seek out more well, like loving or, or warm relationships because for working in the performing arts, like why, there's no reason to torture <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. So um, if I'm ever offered a project that I am like really on the fence about the, the team or I can like reach out to a friend or whatever and they're like, that person's an asshole. I'll be like, hmm, interesting. Maybe I will think about this project a little bit more. So, yeah. and like maybe not take it, but yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. That is a thing that I see people in particular artists and in particular women for lots of societal reasons. Um, but really agonizing over, um, I feel like I have to take this job or I like have to keep working with this company and having these obligations to do work with people who don't respect them. Um, and, they're just, there is space in the world where you can be respected and you can work with people who aren't assholes. And the more that absolutely our yeah. own energy towards that and like insist on working with people in a respectful environment, the more those environments are going to crop up and become reality. So exactly. Yeah. There's a really wonderful, um, manifesto by this filmmaker named Colleen Smith. And one of her points that she lists in it is that, um, well, well, I won't explain the whole thing, but she has this, she has this phrase, the maladjusted spectator. And she says, she does not expect to be pleased. She expects to be respected. Mm-hmm. And I, that just like really resonates with me that I like, I don't need someone to please me. I need to be respected in my space. And if that, I, I really hope that everyone can walk into a room that's collaborator with that sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
what's a challenge that you're facing right now? You kind of mentioned one earlier with the like creative habit routine. Yeah. I mean, that, that probably is still the answer. And like, I'm just, I'm really trying to figure out like to be on top of deadlines and yeah, find, make sure that creative habit is like lean or whatever it may be. And it's <laughs> form that it's slowly taking is, um, both honoring like the creative experimental incubation and like the reality of deadlines. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, wish me luck. Yeah. yeah. Lots of luck, but what, um, I'm curious what that looks like right now or what it has looked like, looked like, um, in the past for you. Sure. Um, I would, I guess like, for instance, Taylor Despero, um, was actually super, super challenging because like ultimately my lighting design plot was like actually quite late to the theater. And it was like something I was not proud of. And it was like, not, not a cool move, honestly. Um, but that was, that was like a direct ripple effect from all of these enormous questions that we were having in the rehearsal room. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, I feel like there's so many questions we have unanswered. I feel so hesitant to put any, like some of these ideas on paper yet, because as soon as I do, it's going to change. And that, that was true. It did often change and I'd have to go make wild revisions. But, um, I, yeah, it's just like really fun, like making the expectations of, of day, deadlines and paperwork and like the actual materials that people need to translate my design into reality um, and how that meets up with our creative conversations. It's, yeah. It's hard. It's really and like, hard. and when do you draw the line and say, now we're going to put things on paper? Like when does it turn from exploration and discovery into a product? Right. It, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, and it's part of it is like training myself to be in a brain space or, or help anyone find the brain space that is actually creating forms that are leaning towards greater potentials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it's actually, at least in the instance for lighting design, like really learning and feeling like you can capitalize or manifest like the best versions of the room. And I think, and by that, I mean, I think so much of our work is actually in response to the literal space that you're working within. Mm-hmm. And that is then interrupted or add or, you know, expanded with the scenery that's inside the space. But it, like my job is so much about like, oh gosh, this is like learning the lighting positions and like, oh gosh, this lighting position is going to be super ripe with potential for a variety of ideas, I can at least put like a bunch of lights over there. And I always have the option to change what they do later, but I can at least say, I need you to be able to fit 12 lights over here. So it's that, it's like that, um, like learning to look to the horizon and say, okay, this is the right direction. This is the, I keep using the word ripe. I said it too many times now, but (laughs) just like, like really, um, honing in on those potent zones. So yeah. yeah. How much time, um, right now do you allow, I was going to say dedicate, but let's say allow for just like pure creative exploration, whether that's like visiting museums or sketching or flipping through art books or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I try and make some, some visit of that practice every day. Um, whether that's just like changing what coffee book, you know, my 
coffee book, coffee table books mm-hmm. that are like in front of me and um, opening them up every, you know, every once in a while or um, going to see my friend's shows or um, I have sort of uh, tortured myself with like way, like subscribing to way too many <laughs> um, museum blasts and like mm. different things that are going around the city. And like, I sort of, when I have the brain space to like peruse them, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's, I'm going to be in that neighborhood already. I should totally just swing by that thing. Um, so I guess I try and do it as often as possible, but also like, I'm not going to torture myself and go out of the, go out of my way to mm. make something true. Yeah. Um, it's so weird how like certain, if I go see a certain museum exhibit, I'm like, wow, this speaks so much to the project I'm working on right now, which is <laughs> maybe not true. I just happened <laughs> to like make that link, you know? I yeah, of course. Cause you're sort of naturally that lens in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just, it falls there naturally. So. Yeah. Do you have any, I'm thinking of like the artist's way. Do you have any like a habit of journaling or I don't know, anything like that? Um, I can little, I mean, it's sort of like when to. I was I'm not judging you. No, oh, no, totally. No, no, no. I mean, it's sort of like when I was in th- third grade, you know, and I would like take a journal for two days and then like forget about it for six months. Like mm-hmm. every once in a while, I, I remind myself to like, if I'm just on the subway, even to like write a very quick blurb, um, which is like a response to the thing I just saw. Mm-hmm. So, cause when you see, just see enough, you're just like, oh my gosh, what was that? Like, what did I just see? Like actually find some space to digest it in words that I can revisit it later. Or maybe I never will, but you know, whatever it might be. Um, and then I, I'm, I just got, (laughs) it's nerdy. Um, like the iPad that you can write on now, you know, like that, the whole not whatever Apple pencil. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I'm, I'm definitely have like a new relationship with the way that I read scripts. And like, I know I've like caught myself writing notes in a way that are almost more like journal like than like script notes in there. So that's like a whole new void that we'll, we'll see what comes out of that. But um, that's cool. Yeah. It's really nice. It, it, I really suggest that tool, that tool for anyone <laughs> if they're on the fence. Yeah. Good recommendation. Um, yeah. What is something that you do in your theatrical work that if we applied the same idea to our regular lives, we would have a better life? Mm, good question. I mean, I think it's, it sort of links back to the center of like, don't work for assholes, but which is like, <laughs> um, I think it's just like, I always try and be like, be as kind as possible in the room um, I like try and learn everyone's names and I try to say hello to them in the room every day in a way that's not just like, yeah, yeah. Hey, Hey, like I, you know, I actually greet people mm-hmm. in a way that I think, I hope, um, cause I mean it genuinely. I hope whoever I'm saying hello to feels that. Um, and so I, th- I would just recommend that to anyone. And it's actually one of the reasons that I love New York city in particular, and I'm sure this could also be applied to anywhere, but I just think it's so it's in New York. Cause you can run into any, there's just so many people. It's so easy to be kind in any given moment. Like mm-hmm. whether you're holding the door on the subway for two seconds for someone to sneak in or like whatever it is. I, I think I really am trying to push that into every part of my life and, you know, root uh, definitely in my theatrical work and, um, and elsewhere. Yeah. I love that. And it's totally free to be nice. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't. It feels good back too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Should theater be universally accessible curriculum? Yes, for sure. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think the the permission, like in a way, it gives anyone, I think, a different permission to express. Um, ideas, feelings, physical emotions, like whatever that is. And I think if we are sharing, um, we are all better people. Mm. So I think that if like, and if we're sharing, and that sometimes is just like sharing an experience in the room together or like learning to actually express something internally or externally, I guess, is like, I think that's, such a gift and it's so exciting to be a part of an industry that you can see people changed at from like the big when they sit down in their seat at the beginning and when they're leaving like whether it's like a grumpy couple that came and like they weren't talking before and they're really talking afterwards or like whatever that is I think that's such a gift that is a really cool point that you're I'm writing that down (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) that like every I just wrote change poople where I'm going to leave it. We're just, <laughs> it is. Um, but every, like there, you can't see a performance without being changed in some way, even if it is a terrible performance, which honestly, like I really love seeing bad shows almost mm-hmm. as much as I love seeing good shows. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Watch a bad show a thousand times than a mediocre show personally. Um, but you're like, you walk out different, you know, like at least the emotional emotional resonance of the day will have shifted in some way, even if yeah. it wasn't like a huge cathartic blah 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 whatever. It's there's always something that's different about me and the way that I sit in the world after I have seen any performance. Really, I love that. Yeah, I think that's such a cool weird thing. I'm working on a piece right now that's actually asking that to another degree of, um, of our audience. And I, I, we're all sort of scared actually, Mm. um, just because it's, um, it's this really exciting new play, but it's playwright Will Arbery. It's called Heroes of the Fourth Turning. And it's, it sort of dives in and airs a lot of the like actually religious laundry and political laundry that he grew up around, um, in like a very Catholic conservative space. And so to, to like air those sort of ideas on a New York stage um, is kind of risky in some ways. Like, well, you know, we're, we're curious like how people are going to respond or call out or leave or whatever it is. And it's, but like the actual ask of the play is just to like listen and like see if you are changed after listening for two hours. And I think mm. um, that like relates back to just what I was saying, but also like so such a huge missing element I think in our political sphere right now yeah. and um and theater does that for us like it asks like puts you in, in like in a situation that you like actually have or you don't have to but you're invited to listen to something new mm-hmm. and I find that so in- exciting and invigorating yeah um, my brain is taking me to, I'm, I just finished reading White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Um, mm-hmm. and it's sort of the, like asking the same thing of people in, um, conversations about anti-racism or about race, racism in general, um, and asking 
yourself to sit in some very uncomfortable positions in order to listen and in order to shift and in order to change and learn. And sort of without that level of, um, like we don't grow without discomfort, you know, it's always uncomfortable to be exactly. different. Um, and I think anytime when we can challenge people to do that or encourage them or invite them or, um, allow them to do that in a, through the course of a performance that is in some ways, maybe not more powerful, but at least as powerful as any work we can do, um, on our own individually, because we're sort of asking ourselves to do it in a collective group in a way and in a public space, which is just adds that an extra level of uncomfortability, but also adds a level of, um, like I'm, we're in this with other people too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The camaraderie element is like unavoidable. Yeah. And, um, in a way that's really exciting. And even if you see someone like tensing up and like, yeah, Mm -hmm. and you sort of feel for them and like, I like, no, I'm not, like a hyper spiritual guru, guru or anything, but I do like think that feeling like feeling the ease of someone next to you in the room can truly relax your own ability to listen mm. um, or the tension. And I like, or there's just, there's so much going on in that unspoken space yeah. and on the audience side um, as we listen. So yeah, it's so easy to see that happen with laughter, right? Like we, it's like one person laughs. Yeah more people laugh. And it is, um, it's such a, it's just such an interesting experience because the same thing happens when someone's going through something that's not an audible comedy response, but it's, you can't hear it, but it's still like energetically is happening and the response is spreading and sharing. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're changing the world friends we're doing we are slowly <laughs> but we are but we are yeah <laughs> we totally are um I was just talking to um a client today who's a musician about she was like I'm p- trying to put together this concert and m- this inner voice keeps asking like why am I doing this like it's not even important why is this important and we just had a really lovely time chatting about why the arts are important especially when the world is like a complete mess and things are challenging and we want to shut down. Um, but that's kind of when creativity and escape and um, reflecting on things from a different perspective is so much more powerful and so much more needed. Absolutely. I can't, I couldn't agree more. And we all have a skill set that is like listening and like, and um, listening to each other and collaborating. And then also like, actually deploying action, even if it's like, go hang that light or, um, I need you to go give this note or whatever. Like we're all going to be on like better apocalypse teams. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and if, if the moment arrives, you're gonna be like, I need that person (laughs) over on my team. Not that we're their teams and we're against each other, but you know what I mean? Like, like we, we all, we actually have skill sets that are like deep, like deeply valuable. Yeah. Um, Legitimately. I think one of the reasons my husband married me is because I'm good with soft goods. Like I can sew, <laughs> knit, like I, I get the, the world of like clothing and like body protection. Um, and that is not a thing that he, like watching him try to like fold, uh, anything or like, sew a drop I've watched it and it is hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time. Cause he's just <laughs> great. Um, but he like, I, I honestly think that that is a reason he married me is because when the zombies come, 
we're going to be closed. We're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, you're going to be comfortable. Yeah. Crucially. Just get yeah. And we're super set for life. <laughs> <laughs> Great skill set. That's, I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's like have, have one of every designer like in your life so that you can all come together into a commune when shit really hits the fan and then you're set. Everyone. Yeah. Tr- truly though. <laughs> truly. Um, I have, okay. So I have one more like real question, but I, w- I have a question that I probably should have asked way earlier, um, that I want to ask before the final question. And it is, um, you worked on the absolute brightness of Leonard Pilkey. I did. Yeah. Did. Um, you designed that. I did. Okay, cool. Um, I saw that also at the old globe and I, it had been touring. I mean, it's been touring for a long time since then. And I'm curious if like, was it your design that I saw or it wasn't actually, I, cause I did it in Pittsburgh actually, mm-hmm. but, um, and I think that the production I did actually was the first time that he wasn't performing it. Oh, okay. So, um, which is like exciting and scary and cool, yeah. but, um, I never got to see the original. And so I'm so oh, curious. It was, but wonderful. I heard it was, yeah. I mean, it's such a moving piece. Yeah. Really, really wonderful. It was, um, it's, it's one of my lists. The old globe, typically they do very good things. Um, and sometimes they do very excellent things. And then I put that in the excellent category. Um, it's like, just like, I'm really glad they brought it in. I'm really glad that they, you know, made it available to me and like very easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's probably not a show. It wasn't really on my radar. It's not something that I would have sook out. Is that a word? I wouldn't have searched for it. Yeah, um, sure. But having it like brought into my sphere, I was like really grateful to have seen it. It was really outstanding. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious what they did now. I mean, and if anyone gets a chance to go see that show, it's like very moving and just a remarkable performance by whoever ends up playing. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, all one person shows are a marathon, but it definitely was an emotional marathon. This one (laughs) for sure. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. We, um, when we did it in Pittsburgh, we had a, one special night that a bunch of folks came to see the show who um, had a very similar experience, mm-hmm. um, who lost a son mm-hmm. um, to a very similar experience. And it was, I mean, it, it was really hard actually to watch them go through that, like go through that. But it was to see them afterwards was so remarkable and they were so excited and grateful for the production that we brought forth to them, um, which was just really like telling a story that is, is needed yeah. um, on the page. So everyone go see it. If you, go if see you, it. If you can. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Um, righty, here we go. Final question is, Ooh. I know. Mm-hmm. Are, are you excited? I'm excited. I love this question. I'm scared. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> um, plant a seed in the minds, hearts, spirits are all three of the people who are listening today. Um, I I think, um, I just invite everyone to like really enjoy equal, um, fervor, like the light and the dark that's around, like that's near them. Um, and whether that's like an emotional space or, or like literally like enjoying like a dark corner with like alone or something, or, um, like just basking in the sunlight at any given moment. But, um, I think like just like being as present as you can and like, 
a, a goofy way that I do that, that I can really like literally recommend to everyone is that I pace. Um, and this is just because I'm like a light nerd and I like to see the way that light moves, but I put mirrors on my windowsills so that when light hits it, it bounces like further into my apartment. Huh. And then like, like you can like watch it move and track over the course of the day. Cause the sun moves, you know, continuously as, or, and well, we move rather, but, um, and it's like, it's just sort of like a delightful gift every day to myself that I, um, uh, I mean, if you ever look at my Instagram, you'll see like I'm a deep nerd about I light was and shadow. Totally Instagram stalking you today, this morning. So yes, I have looked at yeah, Instagram. It's like a <laughs> real, real nerd, like shadow nerd dumb. But um, it's just like that's a way that I sort of like gift myself, like the surprise of what light is doing in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I'm, so, I hope that like you can place things around your home or around your workspace that can like, give you that same sort of joy or surprise or like initiate a, a goofy gasp out of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, and part of that is like finding like beauty and like quotidian objects. And like, there's so many people like the way that light scrapes things, it's like not a big deal. They're like, yeah, every day, whatever. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, actually, if you like look at it a little different, it like, it really does tell you more. Um, And that's only possible with like lightness and darkness. So, right. Ooh, got real like nerdy right there. I love it. And I'm actually like becoming hyper aware of, so I live in a desert basically. And our house has large, beautiful windows, which I'm so grateful for. But we spend some of our time every day opening and closing window blinds to make sure sure the house doesn't get overheated um, so that we can reduce our air conditioning use and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But it's just like, all of a sudden I'm like thinking through the day and realizing that I live because I work from home too. So um, I spend many of my days just in the house and I'm living in this very medium lit space most Mm -hmm. of the time. And I love that you, and this is like thinking just very physically about light, but I love that was such a really beautiful reminder to start to shift that a little bit and see where I can create pockets of brightness and pockets of darkness, if nothing else, but to, to create visual interest, but also just to, um, to allow myself to explore and inhabit this space a little bit differently. Um, Totally. So now yeah. I'm like, what can I do? I love, oh, I yeah. just love that. So I'm yeah. like, well, you can give like a light, like a plant in a corner more light than you thought you could too. Oh, that's <laughs> so, true. That's true. Yeah. That's such a fantastic, yeah. thank you for that. That is definitely something I'm going to take forward and make some changes to my own life based on that. Um, yeah. And then on the emotional side of things, um, something that I work a lot with my community and my clients on is sort of the darkness and lightness of emotions and allowing ourselves to lean into uncomfortable, what would be sort of classified as dark emotions, as mm. much as we lean into the brighter, joyful, higher vibe emotions, because there's just as much wisdom in fear and in anger and in those other sort of like less comfortable emotions as there is in joy and brightness. Um, so that is like very powerful to me as well. Just reminding ourselves that we are full, you know, we, as human beings, we live a full emotional spectrum 
And it's important to allow ourselves to feel everything that we feel. And I think that often we're taught and socialized not to feel and not to spend time in the darker side of things in the darker spectrum when those are actually emotions that are just as valuable. You probably don't want to spend all of your time. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, probably clear. Yeah. Yeah. But allowing, like, cause I feel like a lot of times we'll get a hint of something that feels a little bit darker and we immediately shift away from it or stamp it down or ignore it or, um, excuse it away where instead you can just give it like 30 seconds of your time to be like, yeah, no, I'm scared right now. Or that makes me feel angry. And I feel angry right now. Um, and to move through that emotion instead of, instead of trying to just like run away from the dark, but sort of let it be what it is for a minute before you move away from it. Um, totally. Yeah. Oh. To avoid it is to like actually let it grow in a way that maybe mm-hmm. you don't want. So yeah, I always think about that with, more. yeah, I have a lot of plants and I always think about like, if I forget to water it, if I like avoid watering you, I'm going to have to <laughs> deal with like, depo- like disposing of your corpse later, <laughs> which is like so grim, but like literal. And I'm like, and that's going to like not be fun. Like That's no. like a, you know, sort of a trip. I don't mean to trivialize it because it's, I'm, I'm, it's just a different manifestation of it. Yeah. Yeah. Super true. Um, and like I I have orchids and orchids live in that sort of like middle space and light also, where it's like, I need to give you some sunlight, but I can't give you too much sunlight because that's just as bad. Truly. I know. Yeah. The balance. It's like the talking about the force, like there has to be dark for there to be light. So important. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I won't, I'll give you one more little tidbit, which is like mm-hmm. I one of my favorite books, which is again like leaning into like nerd zone, but is um it's called The End of Night by I think it's Paul Bogart. And it's it's actually just like sort of a episodic exploration of like literal like light pollution and like how artificial light stole stole the sky from us. Um which is very sad. Um but there's this like really um gorgeous study in the middle of it that's like talking about the actual like efficiency of like all the lighting sources in our public spaces blah 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 but it like the fact of it is that the dark becomes darker when the when the brightness is brighter because mm-hmm. like it's like a trick in blackouts too right like if like you can make something on stage look darker if there's like a little glimmer of something for your eyes to attach to mm-hmm. so i mean this this could like you could push this metaphor in a variety of ways but oh yeah um, but I just, I think that, um, there's like, there's to have equal is, is like a more balanced space. And I think to like allow yourself to dive, like then dive in, in either direction is like, it's plenty healthy as long as you can return back to the other. And, um, and I think just like keeping an eye on that and making sure, um, you don't making sure you don't, um, yeah, fall too far in one direction is mm-hmm. is really valuable. And everyone should go read that book because I, I'm re- like really holding back and all of the things I love about that book right now because I'll like <laughs> we'll like talk for 40, 40 more minutes, but um, which is totally fine. But yeah, but but, but I'm like, like a, to get to. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, I mean, it's like it's just I, like re- you should all just like go read that book. It's, okay, um, really, 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 really lovely. Awesome. Um, he should probably he doesn't even know who I am, but he should probably like give me some sort of like. <laughs> I don't know something because I send like, so many people. Amazon has like affiliate links. You should set up a, an affiliate link to link to the book. No, but seriously, Paul, if you're <laughs> listening to me, yeah, um, it just is. A, it's a really like beautiful study of like all of these things and the way that we 
we like can get back to like our circadian rhythms literally and we like enjoy the darkness yeah. um, and relish the light so. Yes. Oh my gosh. I just went on vacation and <clears throat> excuse me, I had to go on every single hotel room that we stayed in and cover up. Like I was flipping clocks over and I was covering up microwave lights and just like trying to get things as dark as possible. Cause I'm just, I'm, you know, we, my husband and I care about our sleep quality and we keep things really dark. Um, and so then all of a sudden I'm in a hotel room and I'm like, Oh my God, it's like daylight in here with all of uh-huh. electronic, electronic, just like ambient light and what's coming in through the window and like all of the things. And it's like, I can't sleep. It's terrible. Tell <laughs> room after I've been there. I should just carry gaff tape with me, but um, I've got like, like washcloths hanging on top of like the thermostats and like all sorts of nonsense. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Because it can be so blaring if you're not used to it. Have you ever tried like a mask, like a night mask? I have, and I finally just found, I had like lost mine somehow and I just found it again, but I forgot to take it with me on this trip, which was very silly. And I should just go put it in my suitcase. So I know that it's there. <laughs> have a double and like a secret pocket. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I really, I really could have used that now that I think about it. That would have been a better <laughs> idea than wandering around the hotel room with towels. <laughs> See, it's just about efficiency. Like maybe that you, maybe your brain needed that exercise of like oh final light, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's, let me think if there's anything else I wanted to ask you about. Um, I don't think so. Is there anything else that you want to say or have known at this point? Oh gosh. Um, so many things. No, um, I think, I mean, I just, I, I I am so excited to like collaborate with anyone and everyone. So amazing. And like, I've, I had someone um, reach out to me. Maybe they're listening to this podcast um, um, because I sent them a link, Uh, but (laughs) to, um, I just, I think like, like if anyone's like hungry to like do this or something like it or have questions, like never hesitate about reaching out to whoever that person is. Um, and if that's me, cool. Like send me an email. Um, I'm like not a particularly reliable pen pal, but I will get back to you. <laughs> um, but well, just, sometimes but you're just, in tech week, so you know. Oh my gosh, yeah. So like, what is time? No one knows. Um, no, I don't even know. Uh, so that right. is actually the very final question: is if someone's like, oh my gosh, I really want to talk to Isabella about blank. What is the best way to connect with you or reach out? Yeah, you can just email me. And if you just go to my website, um, there is a link to my email there. It's also just my name, which is Isabella Bird at Gmail. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, don't like expect to reply immediately, but I will certainly <laughs> try and get back. And I think, I mean, I'm always like suggesting to people like, yeah, don't hesitate to like whoever and like brilliant brevity will really get people's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, you know, a like thesis, like a very long thesis is not kind of like, hook someone in because we're all victims of too long didn't read but like yeah just I think reaching out and like making yourself known is like is so important so please do awesome well thank you so much for your time today Isabella I'm so appreciative and I am appreciative of the beautiful work that you are doing um, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on where your work is happening. And anytime I'm in the same city, I definitely want to continue supporting you and seeing um, the, just the amazing show. Yeah. And if you want to add it to anyone, like 
Jesperow is going up to Berkeley yes. in the fall. So if, I don't know if that applies to anyone there, you know, can see it there. Yeah. And it's so, yeah. it's so, so good. That was, um, like my word for it is transcendent. And that's not a word that I oh use my gosh. often in the shows, but it really, like, it took me to another place. It made me feel things. It, was visually stunning. Um, and of course, you know, it's a musical. So of course it was really fun to listen to. And I also really love that story. That was one of the books that I read twice back to back in my life. There's a couple. Um, and so it's like, I love the story and it, the show does really, really good. That's what I'm looking for. Like, it's a very honorable representation of the book. Oh my God. That's so helpful here. Cause it's like, there's just so, there's so much book, you know, you're like how, how do we actually tell all this like very episodic thing, yes. which yeah. is, I mean, who knows? It could change, but, um, true. Which would be exciting yeah. to see too. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll see. Awesome. Well, that is all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, leave a rating and tell your friends about this podcast so that they can subscribe too. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do that at FYL Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at Find Your Light Podcast on Facebook. You can email suggestions or nominations at any time to podcast at emilystamets.com. And remember that The Tale of Despero is going to Berkeley Rep uh, later in this season. So please, if you are anywhere near Berkeley or if you're currently anywhere near San Diego, please see the show. It was phenomenal. That's all for today. Until next time, stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.